went online to switch your car insurance to Progressive so you could save money. But then you saw a friend request from an old summer camp buddy. And now here you are, clicking through photos of his kickball team from 2011. Hmm, looks like they won the championship that year. Then he moved to Tulsa. Oh, a new tattoo. Yes, they said it was easy to save hundreds on car insurance with Progressive, but they forgot about the rest of the Internet. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average savings by new customer surveyed who saved in 2019. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production. Brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, I'm Dhamini and you're listening to Gender Question. Here, we will look at an issue that's in the news using the lens of gender. The idea is to take a blind spot and throw some light on it. Our guest today is Saurabh Kirpal, a Supreme Court advocate and editor of a book that was recently released. The book is called Sex and the Supreme Court, and it has a wide range of articles on jurisprudence related to issues of gender and sexuality. So there's Namita Bhandare's critical piece on the Me Too movement, there's additional Solicitor General Madhvi Devan's thought-provoking piece on the Triple Talaq judgment, and former Attorney General Mukul Rohatki's critique on the Sabrimala judgment. And this is a handful of the well-known names whose essays form part of this book. Saurabh was also integral to the 2018 judgment on Section 377. He was part of that case. Uh, as you recall, on September 6, 2018, uh, the Supreme Court decriminalized adult consensual same-sex intercourse. So, welcome to Gender Question, Saurabh. Thanks for having me, Dhamini. Let's start with your own essay in the book, Saurabh. Now, you begin with the line, if dignity and autonomy are the pillars of the Constitution, there is possibly no greater manifestation of that autonomy than the right to choose a sexual partner. And nothing is a greater expression of that choice than marriage. You then go on to talk about two cases, one, an interreligious marriage, which is the Hadia case, and the other on the Khap Panchayats, seeking to regulate inter-caste marriages, right? Now, in this essay, you're basically building a case for same-sex marriages. Could you explain how you reach them? Well, I think how I aim to do that is to examine the concept of marriage and the concept of partnership and how the courts view it as well. Hmm. Because my piece ultimately goes on to say and suggest that the way we will get to gay marriage is through the intervention of the court and mm. not through any parliamentary intervention. Mm. So it's necessary, I think, to examine as to what the courts view marriage as. Mm. And in that context, I think we have to examine the commonalities of the two cases you mentioned, mm. which is intercaste marriage or intragotra marriage, mm. actually, mm. or uh, yes, case, which is interreligious marriage. And really extract from that or crystallize from that, what is it that the court thought important to protect mm. by way of a in intervention using the constitutional jurisprudence of the court. Mm. And both these cases, ultimately what the court holds is the constitution recognizes the fundamental concept of autonomy of an individual to choose their sexual partner, their life partner, right? So to say that you're free without having choices is meaningless. This reminds me of that uh, very famous quote of Raz, you know, that you're a, uh, yeah. can, can you truly be said to be a free person if you are alone on an island being uh, yeah. chased by a wolf or if you're in a deep pit. So if you have two meaningless choices, yeah. you don't really have a choice, right? right? So to say that you have freedom, autonomy, dignity, 
means you have to have realistic options, choices, which are protected by the court. Right. And for that, the court has to step in and say that, yes, you have a right to marry, but if society is stopping you from getting married, it's right. curtailing your options to get married, thereby you are not being able to fulfill the constitutionally promised right of your dignity, autonomy, and freedom. So we, the court, will step in and protect that right. If yeah. that is the core concept of marriage, and that is the core concept of what the court's intervention, intervention has to be, yeah. then it's a very long stretch from there to go to gay marriage. And yet in your essay, you also point to a very interesting unease, a very interesting contradiction almost in terms of how there is the constitutional right, right? Which is of course centered around the individual. And yet how marriage is actually more of a societal function, right? And so this unease of the individual who's been guaranteed rights, not a collective, not the great Indian family, for instance, and yet the individual not being allowed to uh, exercise those constitutionally guaranteed rights in what is actually a societal, cultural, religious, almost one can say, uh, definitely a societal function that is of marriage, right? Now, do you think that the resistance to uh, gay marriage actually lies in this unease? I think that's correct, uh, Damini, really, because uh, as you said, and I also say this in my book, marriage is really a social construct coupled by legal sanction, right? It's not as a marriage is a uh, point mm. from human society, because why, that is why if you look across human society and human cultures, Marriage exists in different forms everywhere. But some form, concept of marriage may exist, but the form is very, very radically different across societies. Right. So that shows that it is really a social construct. Uh, inevitably, however, because of financial reasons or uh, social reasons, some kind of a concept of marriage has come about. And I talk about this in my book as well, when it's, of course, not a novel uh, idea on my part, but really marriage came into being uh, as a form of two families coming together rather than two individuals coming together. That was really the origin of the concept of marriage. And in India, I think that is largely true even till date. Uh, right. So there is a very important factor of society and the community dictating a marriage. But yeah. nevertheless, it's really two individuals coming together and getting married as well. Now, we can't forget that, right? right. So there is sort of a clash between yeah. the raison d'etre of marriage, uh, which is the community and society, and its effect, which is on two individuals. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a cause and effect from society to an individual. What I'm arguing for is maybe the reverse, is that having recognized an individual right, now let's work it backwards and say that regardless of the effect it has on society, if there is an intrinsic worth in getting married for two individuals, then really ultimately that has to trump any societal or community interest on marriage. You also, in this, uh, um, in this essay, you also quote a very significant line. Uh, and, and of course, you also recognize its significance in your essay when you... Um, so the line is from the Navdej Johar judgment, which is the section 377 verdict of September 6, uh, 2018. Um, this particular line was read out by the then Chief Justice Deepak Mishra um, when he said that there can be no doubt that an individual also has the right to a union under Article 21 of the Constitution. But then he went on to qualify and qualify that. And he said that by union, 
he didn't mean the union of marriage, but, you know, companionship. And of course, you then go on to point out, you know, the essential kind of contradiction again, um, because he also said this union can mean marriage, but he doesn't mean marriage, right, in this particular judgment. There is, of course, the religious program, but then there is also the, uh, the fact that clearly even in this judgment, we see that there is a resistance to how union can be um, understood as marriage when it comes to uh, same-sex relationships, which, and that too, in the same verdict that actually has decriminalized adult consensual same-sex relationships. So um, it's a bit more than religion, of course, right? That's true. I think uh, for Justice Mishra, I think he was, he got himself found between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Because when the matter was being argued, uh, we pointed out that the Puttaswami judgment, which is the privacy judgment, had yeah. already been delivered, which was a large uh, a nine judge bench, which had said that, pretty much said that the earlier Supreme Court judgment of 2013 was incorrect. So yeah. it was really a short step from there for the court in the Navdeh Johar judgment to deliver and say that Section 377 had to be read down and a consensual adult homosexual sex could not be criminalized. But really, we wanted something more. We wanted affirmative recognition of the rights of the LGBTQIA community. Mm. I don't want a right just to be left alone in my bedroom. I want the right to be able to go out of the bedroom and walk in the streets freely. Mm. Right. So that's we wanted a greater uh, selection of rights, so to say. Mm. And in that, I think there was an unease on the part of uh, the Chief Justice there, Mm. not matched by the other members of his bench. But I think he was particularly uncomfortable uh, in expanding the scope of the judgment because the government had taken a stand that if you are going to decriminalize 377, then we won't interfere and say anything. You do please do what you want to. But if you are going to go beyond that and give any further rights, then please allow us to file a longer affidavit. So I think he was trying to tread some kind of fine constitutional line in his head. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, that's not how constitutional jurisprudence works. Hmm. Uh, you can't say thus far and no further hmm. if the inevitable implication of your finding will lead you further. So be it. So he tied himself up in circles saying that uh, I don't mean uh, when we talk of union, I don't mean marriage, but hmm. marriage is a union. Now, that's a case of under inclusion and over inclusion in the same sentence. And right. therefore, there's a complete logical contradiction in that. Right. Uh, so. So that was, I think that was his point of view, where he was coming from. He was trying to tell his audience, whatever it may be, that I have given a more restricted scope to the reading of the articles of the Constitution 14, 19, and 21, which give rise to uh, me reading down Section 377. Luckily, the other judges, I don't think, bought it. Hmm. And their judgments are, uh, and I've said that in my book, I've, I've quoted passages, but I think they seem to lay the path for uh, gay marriage. And interestingly, you asked me earlier about those two uh, ma- judgments of intercaste mm. marriage and intragotra marriage, mm. the, uh, and inter- religion marriage. Mm. Both these judgments were ultimately, which of course I say lay the foundation for gay marriage, were Justice Deepak Mishra, the same Chief Justice. Right? So <laughs> I don't think, uh, I think it's slightly disingenuous to say that uh, his judgment would not lead to gay marriage, when the entire body of his judgments lead inevitably to that conclusion. If we're thinking of marriage as more than just, for example, to people's choice, right? Because 
I mean, we also understand that choices uh, can change. We can also understand that people's minds can change and it's, there's nothing criminal about that. So my question actually is just why, why not civil union? Why not like right. looking at recognition of joint rights pertaining to specific things? So then it's not just a question of, um, it's not just a question of, you know, love. It's not just a question of two people. It can be a question of, for example, two friends wanting to pull in their resources and buy a house together, you know, and they don't have to put the label of marriage to it. I mean, is that a radical way then in which one can reimagine the issue of property? And I'm also one and property and other such compendium of rights. And I'm also wondering whether this particular judgment of Narte Johar and in fact, the queer movement in itself, does it not in some ways lend itself to that radical reinterpretation? Well, yes and no. Uh, Ramini, uh, it is a radical interpretation when you go beyond, say, sexual partners and maybe two friends into rec uh, being able to recognize the idea of civil union. But I'll just come to that in a, in a while. Why civil union and not marriage? Well, for the simple reason that we don't have a concept of civil union in India at all, right? So it's not as though uh, we are saying that gay couples or uh, LGBTQIA couples should have, you may not have marriage, but it's okay, we have civil union. But that means you're creating a concept known as civil union, right? Because it does not exist in Indian law as of now, at least. So we are saying, uh, okay, let's not give marriage. You, you should be satisfied with the, for the reasons that you stated with the civil union. The reason I've given or people often give for gay marriage is possible to be met through civil unions as well, right? Other than one very important feature, which is that if marriage is good enough for a straight couple and it has a certain societal connotation, then why is it that it's being given to one community, i.e. the straight world, and denied to the rest, i.e. the queer world? There is some kind of an ordering argument that happens. Right. Yeah. What you're saying then is that if we allow gay marriage, that's fine for straight people. Yeah. But hey, you queer folk, you can't have marriage, but you have something which is good enough, which mm. is civil union. It may be second best, but it's good enough for what you want. Now, that is something I don't accept. Mm. If marriage is good enough and for straight people and it's available to them, then it should be available to a queer couple as well. Whether I choose it or not is my choice. Right? I don't want the state or society saying that this is something you can't have because you're queer. But a straight couple can have because they are not. Mm. I think for most Indian parents and if any queer couple really, we live in a family, right? Mm. Uh, they want to live in with their parents who'd be, who'd abiding wish is, Mere bachche ki shaadi ho jai, right? Mm. Parents and society doesn't know the concept of civil union. And if, as I said earlier, that marriage is about society as well and about community and about parents and about family, then what they want for the child and what a child wants from the world is a recognition of marriage. Uh, civil union is a great thing, but it's really, as of now, alien to our, not only our law, but really also somewhat to our society, which neatly brings on to the second part of your question, that it may be alien, but isn't it time we change that, mm. right? So that's what you were saying, if it's uh, there, I think I have somewhat of an, uh, not an issue, but I think it's a question of degree. Hmm. Uh, when we have certain rights, uh, what I say is, if you say property rights and inheritance rights, now it's all right if a, 
woman gets married to a man or a man gets married to a man or whatever else within say hindu undivided family each of a family mm. and the spouse will get certain proprietary rights because that's within the family right mm. uh it, the property belongs to the family now what happens if i introduce a friend into that same the undivided family mm. now other members of the family may object and say that you may be very fond of this person but this property belongs to the family and that person has not actually entered into the family as well so therefore why give him or her those rights but i think most importantly i don't think we can stray too far away from a common sense perspective right when we talk of civil union we talk of a marriage we 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 too come from a place of what we commonly understand it to be mm-hmm. and when we use terms we are not inventing terms and giving those concepts ideas which do not tally with that which is held in a large community or a belief we trying to flesh out what that concept is we may expand it we push the boundaries but a radically different concept of two friends getting together and that becoming marriage i think so far away from what a common person perceives marriage to be mm. that, that could be a different concept mm. right mm. but it isn't marriage mm. uh and and it, i'm open to discourse where some something like that can be recognized but that would not be marriage right that would be something else mm. uh but there's room for that yes possibly and that's what the lgbtqia community stands for which is uh fighting against discrimination of any form mm. but that does not allow us to stray so far away from a societal understanding of what marriage is that you won't be taken seriously anymore really i think when you push the concept of marriage to such an extent then i don't think we'll be able to ask for gay marriage or a same sex marriage at all because people will just say that it means everything and nothing to you your book also has some very pertinent essays so for example the one that follows yours which is uh, menika guruswami narantati ka juice essay on uh, sexual autonomy uh, using the joseph shine uh, case which is of course on adultery i think that itself offers a very lacerating critique of well or at least it talks about how that judgment of joseph shine actually offered a very lacerating critique of marriage in itself which was um which afforded unequal rights to women and men when it came to the issue of relationships that are outside of the marriage while you're saying what you're saying about marriage and i understand that you may be thinking that there is a degree that is coming in i don't necessarily see that actually as a degree i think that in fact more choices that individuals have in terms of how they wish to enter into partnerships to avail of certain benefits or rights uh, relating to property for instance etc i think that the better it is and it should apply to everybody irrespective of their sexual orientation however i think that even as marriage in itself is something that one asks for i think your book also makes the case that marriage in itself as an institution needs to be examined absolutely true um and that's again neatly for menika and uh, arundhati's uh, chapter on examining the nature of marriage the power dynamics within a marriage uh, because inevitably a, a woman in a marriage is disadvantaged and in the adultery judgment and the provision of adultery was seen as chattel right mm-hmm. uh, so a woman is systematically demeaned devalued in a marriage so i don't believe in this public private divide where you are within the marriage and then the state has its hands off mm. and that is what for instance brings us to the marital rape exception as well and mm. that's what uh, and uh, arundhati's chapter also says is that the moment to examine the concept of marriage the idea of the inherent inequality of a woman and that's perpetuated really 
by the uh, marital rape exception. And it, it basically says, you woman, you belong to your husband. Mm. He owns you. And therefore, you can't rape something what you own, right? Yeah. Of course, the adultery judgment, marital rape, mm. ties in also with the caste marriage, inter-religion marriage. Because mm. in all of these, it's these are societies, typically mm. men, saying mm. that women can marry so-and-so. Mm. They can't marry so-and-so. Once they marry, they cannot sleep with so-and-so. Or if we sleep with them, and then, then there is deemed consent. So the con- complete sexuality of a woman mm. is controlled and manipulated through laws and practices mm. which define what marriage is. Mm. So to leave marriage unexamined, mm. I think is a grave error on our part. This, of course, brings us to the issue of anti-discrimination. Now, one of the, one of the conversations that's also been uh, sort of happening within the queer movement and within various queer spaces has been wondering how to kind of mobilize on, this, on, a, on a law, on an anti-discrimination law. Right. Or some kind of an anti-discrimination legislation. And I think that this is particularly important. And I wonder if this is particularly also important in your own case, Saurabh, because, uh, you know, in this past week, uh, you have also, um, you know, raised certain very important uh, arguments about how you had been passed over uh, for judgeship uh, on account of your sexual orientation. As regards my personal story, right? Now, what has happened to me is, uh, it's not as I've been passed over. I'm still waiting. As, as they say, oh, always the bridesmaid, right. never the bride. Right. So it's been three and a half years. My name has gone for judgeship. It's still pending. They've right. not rejected it. Uh, they've rejected others who went at the same time as me. So as, I'm, as I say, I'm the Tushanku, still hanging. Right? Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm hanging possibly uh, ostensibly, and that comes from media reports, is the fact that they have been unable to gather information about my partner mm. who is Swiss and they can't, uh, the intelligence bureau can't de- determine anything about him mm. because we are not married. Mm. Now, if I were a straight man with a, a wife, they could have made those determinations and whatever possibly they need to know about a spouse. After all, the foreign uh, minister of this country has a Japanese wife. Mm. And that seems to be okay. That's not causing any great uh, security risk. Uh, mm. Justice Vivian Bose of the Supreme Court, mm. one of the greatest judges of all times, uh, had an English wife. Uh, that didn't cause any security risk. Mm. But it is a risk because I presume that an uh, unrecognized partner uh, is someone they cannot uh, find out more about. Now, mm. one very simple way to ch- change that, of course, is allow me to get married or allow me to have a civil sex, a same-sex union and then find out whatever you want to. Sure. Uh, so this is what the anti-discrimination aspect of it is. I have a partner who you cannot find out about is because I'm not allowed to get married. And why am I not allowed to get married? Because you're discriminating, right? Mm-hmm. So this now brings me to the other part of your question about discrimination. Imperative to have an anti-discrimination code in India. Mm-hmm. But that necessarily does not mean that you'll also have a gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two are related but fundamentally different. And I think in the queer community also, there is somewhat of a rift as to why we should talk about gay marriage when we need to have an anti-discrimination code. Uh, mm. To those people, I'll say that, you know, we need to fight a battle on many, many fronts. Mm. Just because you are pushing for gay marriage does not mean you don't push for an anti-discrimination code or vice versa. I think both have value in themselves. And it's only when both are fulfilled that we'll go towards the path of 
full realization of citizenhood and acceptance of a person as a full member of society. Article 14 prohibits discrimination between the state and a citizen or any person living in, in the territory of India. But what we face often is discrimination, not just through the state, but through other private entities. So if I'm denied a job, I'm denied an insurance, I'm denied a bank account. It's not the government refusing me these things, right? It's yeah. another private entity refusing me this. And I need the state to step in and say that even a private entity cannot discriminate against you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You cannot discriminate against a, a meat eater who wants to go to a Jain uh, society yeah. uh, because what I cook in my kitchen is no one else's business. Sure. And, but it's been 70 years, Dhamini, since we've had independence. And yeah. those uh, beautiful words which we find in the constitution, the concept of liberty, equality, fraternity, mm. uh, but they've not been translated into a code because I think parliament and the media and all of us are more interested in Bollywood actors and drug deals rather than... Mm people's lives, I think. In the absence of a legislation, because even the Trans Act, as it mm. turns out, has absolutely nothing to say about uh, marriages uh, or, or the sexuality of trans people. Um, in the absence of legislation, is the court the only route, according to you? Is the mm. court, and I know that, of course, you're a Supreme Court advocate, so you may just say yes. But unfortunately, I'm going to retreat back into my... Uh... Supreme Court lawyer shall and say, unfortunately, and you may not like the answer, the only answer is the court. Right? Mm. Let me explain why and what I mean by that. Mm. Is As I said, that marriage or civil sex, uh, same-sex uh, same unions or civil partnership, it's a legal construct on a societal idea or it's a societal idea with a legal skeletal framework. Mm. And if we want to recognize this option or recognize this idea of, uh, of marriage, it's inevitably got to do with law, mm. right? So we could say we could change society and let uh, you know the society recognize marriage, mm. but that doesn't really help because assuming society recognizes this uh, new form of marriage without it having any legal sanction, mm. and uh, you pass away, society is not going to pass on uh, proprietary rights to the uh, deceased spouses, mm. spouse, mm. right? That the law is going to. So we need to change the law. We can't change societal perceptions. Now society, we need to change so that they accept the legal concept of, uh, of marriage. Yeah. Society accepts civil union. But first we need to change the law because it is the law which is a disability mm. which needs to be altered. And the only way we can change law in our country, in our constitution, is either through legislation mm. or judicial interpretation. Mm. Uh, there is no third way of changing the law. Now, if we have a parliament, which for the last 70 years, and it has had a variety from left to right, couldn't bring itself to amend section 377, mm. right? They couldn't even do that much. Mm. I think to say that they're going to recognize great gay marriage is really, really uh, too high a hope. And you said there's so many matters happening across the country. Yes, there will be cases uh, that like the Madras, the Madras bench or the Madras High Court that happened, there's a petition pending in the Kerala High Court. Mm. I believe there will be a groundswell of litigation in this regard. Mm. Judgments will come and ultimately the matter will have to be resolved by the Supreme Court. 2018 has taken us to uh, a recognition of uh, rights of the LGBT uh, or the queer community. And I think it's laid down a charter. I think that was what was wonderful about this judgment. It wasn't a case of just uh, 
377 or an odd judgment. I think it was a manifesto. It was a queer manifesto that found its way into uh, the judicial text. And I think we have to use that manifesto and move forward and ask for recognition of gay marriages and, of course, an anti-discrimination code. And do you intend to fight that case? Or do you intend to be the subject in that case? I will certainly not be the subject. As I say, uh, (laughs) uh, a lawyer who defends himself as a fool for a client. Uh, (laughs) I may be be a fool and I'm sure many people think that. uh, And they may be well true to think that I'm a fool. But I don't intend to be a, a subject in that. As regards, will I fight it? I would be happy to if someone comes to me. Uh, there are very many capable lawyers in the Supreme Court. I'm not the only one. There are people who are much better than me. Uh, if they fight the cause, I'm there to support them. This is not about an individual's glory. This is not about an individual doing something which others cannot do. This will be a moment for the Supreme Court to stand up, actually. Mm. And it will be a moment of glory of the Constitution of India, I think. Ultimately, all of us are subject to the Constitution and the fundamental rights. All right, Saurabh. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks, Amini. Thanks for having me. If you have any questions, do reach out to me at the rate Dhamini on Twitter. You can also leave your feedback at HT Smartcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.